know what that means? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full That just explains so much of my childhood to me. Research purposes. It's super important. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Anglo Fees, in which we will discuss American gods and other things gaming. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And American Gods has just finished up its first season of only eight episodes. Only, but a lot, there's a lot, a lot that happened in those eight episodes. Mm. Like a lot. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we thought that we would debrief a little bit on everything that happened. It's welcome to dinner, the last supper edition, this episode of ours. Yes. So, like, I don't even know where to start. Jillian Anderson as David Bowie. Well, actually, before we start, let's let's figure out and, and give a warning to our listeners. Are we doing, like, book spoilers or not? Because I, mm, I'd like to do at least some. Well, let's put the warning off anyway, and then yeah. people can't complain. Yeah. No offense to everyone. We love you dearly, but, you know. But, you know. The book's, what, 20-something years old? <laughs> Don't focus Stop. on the spoilers, man. Just just go with it. Mm. Go with it. Right. You could and know everything about the... this show and everything about this book, and you yeah. will still be surprised. Like, you don't need to, you know... If you know the Belkwood scene is coming, it doesn't stop you from being surprised, okay? Oh. <laughs> oh, and just because it happens in the book doesn't mean it's going to happen that way in the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Yeah, okay. So, Brian Fuller was the right person for this job. Clearly. Thank God. Or gods. Take the pick. I, I am relieved that he found the use for all that leftover fake blood from the Hannibal set. Just surprised that there was any leftover, but we found it. We found it. I do not doubt his limitless supply of blood. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that this is really the first time that we've got to see Brian Fuller go totally off the leash. Like he's a he's been a network man. He's been very stalwartly dedicated to the traditional network system, even though it has been very cruel to him. Mm-hmm. Like Hannibal is, we all, we're all sad it got cancelled after three seasons, but that was a record for him. Like he's mm-hmm. never had anything last that long, and he's never got to be as sort of gloriously baroque and esoteric in the way that he is to the full extent. Like. I mean, I'm glad that Hannibal wasn't a, a cable show just because I don't know how much further that could have gone and me still be able to eat afterwards. But seeing, like, the first five minutes of the pilot of American Gods tells you exactly what's happening, you know? This is basically Brian Fuller deciding, I'm going to, like, let out about a decade and a half of pent-up blood rage. <laughs> this is for cancelling pushing daisies, you fucker! Still not over that. <laughs> I, did you know that the opening for the pilot was not the original end, uh, opening? The opening for the pilot was the scene of the Vikings, right? Yeah, but it was originally supposed to be the scene with uh, Anubis and the, the Egyptian uh, woman. Muslim woman. Yes. 
that was the original choice. And then Star says, can you put in something a little more kind of flashy? And also it was a good way to establish uh, Mr. Wednesday. Slash. Am I being paranoid or do I hear a subtextual and a little less Muslim in there? Well, I don't know, because then you get to the entire thing with the Ifrit and Salim. So I don't know if it could really get any more Muslim and potentially... No, no, I mean for the opening that. scene. Um, maybe. But I think knowing what they signed up for with this show, I think even stars wouldn't have been able to clamp down limits on that because Neil Gaiman would have told them to fuck off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the opening scene, or the scene with um, Anubis in that, and I forget her name, is very quiet. It is. And it's probably, it behooves the audience better to open with a bang or a fucking gore fest. I mean, I actually think it was a very fitting opening scene because, you know, Odin is, Mr. Wednesday is the main, one of the main characters. So I do think that um, it works well as a TV show establishing prologue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, don't, I, I think totally it also, do. I think it also works because it is literally coming to America. I mean, that's what those vignettes mm-hmm. are. With the uh, Anubis scene or Mr. Jekyll, as he's also known, that is, they're already in America. But this right. show is like the original settler slash colonials coming over, and the uh, locals just saying, "Nope, <laughs> nope, we're not doing this. Yeah. Nope, stay where you are. <laughs> not interested." Yeah. Avon calling? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> but it's also um, I mean one of the things that the show does so well is show sort of the increasing desperation of faith that a lot of people have they make their, their shrine to Odin to get the winds to blow to take them home and it's, it's not good enough I mean they essentially have to completely massacre themselves mm-hmm. to get there before obviously a god of war will not be satisfied until there's an actual war Right. but that's one of the things that ties the series together is that Mr. Wednesday misses that kind of devotion. He claims it's a more honest form of worship because everyone was getting something out of it. It was more, mm-hmm. it was a, a better exchange, more fair exchange in comparison to what the new gods offer. But you also understand the thing that he's offering is really brutal and cruel and sort of rudimentary. Um, right. And that, that will be a fascinating catalyst for season two. I'm rushing ahead of myself, but I, I think it does tie itself together. But I do love that, uh, the scene with Anubis. Just the sheer it's so beautiful and quiet and there is this wonderful feminine energy and then mm-hmm. that cat is just a dick yeah yeah <laughs> it's very grandmotherly right the way she like oh let's let's cover myself up i don't want my grandchildren finding me you know with my clothes in disarray and then she offers him the food because she's like they're not gonna i i made they're, it they're and not, it's gonna taste so good <laughs> yeah they're not gonna eat well actually i think i have a segue in our first little like mini round table and what's your favorite coming to america vignette because i think i know mine I have to say the one with Anansi and Orlando Jones. Oh, yes. And just the levels he plays with that speech on the slave ship. Please, I, I, I understand that the, the Anansi is not really part of the story at this point, and, but oh, I can't wait for so much more Orlando Jones. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh yeah! Remember when? I mean, we we loved that casting announcement immediately. We were just so happy that you know he was getting away from Sleepy Hollow and a mm-hmm. you know a, a series that would appreciate him. He yeah. is so much younger than that character is yeah. in the book, but it just doesn't matter. No. But my favorite was probably the Mexican 
immigrants uh, crossing the river. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and That's... the the essentially because there was a scene where Mr. Wednesday goes, you know, there's there's the Mexican Jesus and there's the white Jesus, and he does kind of the best for himself. So you have, yeah, you already have this concept of of many Jesus. Yeah, of many go- of like every culture has its own version of a god of even the same one. So you have Mexican Jesus trying to protect these people, but then you have the, the, the vigilantes, the American white vigilantes where they're in God we trust, like on the rifle or whatever it said, hmm. while they're committing murder. It, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was very affecting and effective. All those words. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think this show necessarily does subtext. I think it is all <laughs> giant neon signs text. Yeah. So there's no subtlety to that more, but it's, the, the series isn't doing that. And I think considering that the god they introduced in that episode, the god Vulcan, who's you know, the volcano god who's tied himself to guns, mm-hmm. um, that, that creates a really interesting story. And also, isn't Mexican Jesus the greatest headline to have on your CV? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really like the, introduce, uh, the introduction of all of the Jesuses. Yeah. <laughs> and just how much it was like really confusing to Shadow. <laughs> It's like, wait, that's Jesus. And that's Jesus. And that's Jesus. <laughs> so what was your favorite, Kaylee? Was it the uh, Anubis and the woman? Of the coming to... Well, I guess it wasn't really coming to America, that one. Well, that's the thing. Is I think they're sort of... Some of them aren't defined as much as coming to America. Some of them like have it emblazoned across the screen and others don't. But they're the similar kind of vignettes that the, mm-hmm. the novel has. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of it being the, the sort of introduction, I think the Anansi piece is just phenomenal. But I also have such a... I don't even know if we can call it a vignette between Ifrit and Salim just because it's now part of the story. It's you know, yeah. going to be explored more. But that entire scene, just the fact that they even did it, because it's so much better than it is in the book. We know that we're going to get so much more of them and it's going to be handled you know, in a way that we very seldom see in TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also just this entire shock of, oh, they're actually going to do it. Because in yeah. the book, they don't. In the book, it's oral sex and then they stop. Mm-hmm. But here it's full on like they 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 go for it, like this this so fucks. <laughs> yeah, this is where you and I uh we we've read the book. Uh, Raiden made honest attempts. Don't hold it against I have, <laughs> I have, I have. I read it. I read like the first third or so, um, <clears throat> twelve years ago. Um, I I like Gaiman's stories. Sometimes I feel like his 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 like the mechanics of his storytelling are just a little overwrought. So I thought this would be a good spot where Kayla and I can talk about. Although you, there have been interviews, so really I think Raiden, you can chime in too on um, changes and updates they've made. Uh, partially because you know the book is quite old now. Um, there and things that work th- like there's the changes they make. Because adaptation, there's the changes they make because, you know, it's 20 years later and we can talk about things now. Changes they make because Neil Gaiman just says, you know what, that didn't actually work and now I get to rewrite it. So we kind of have a little bit of everything. Yeah. And one of one of the things that I do appreciate about Gaiman as a creator, and I think that part of this is that he has worked in multiple mediums. So he has a sort of intrinsic understanding that mediums require different things. And so he doesn't get precious about, well, I wrote this and this is how it is. He can say, well, this this works on the page, but it doesn't work on TV. And this worked before and it kind of doesn't work now because society has evolved. 
And like you see that through the run of Sandman. And it's it's definitely here now and where he doesn't get E.L. Jamesy about it, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're getting out of there at all. Oh no, not at all. I'm I'm being very subtle. So I definitely appreciate the fact that that he allows the medium to work with the message and the message to work with the medium. So one of the changes is the one where it started off was this Kaylee mentioned the the sex scene between the uh, Salim and the Jin, which and there's actually an entire interview. I'm gonna try to find as many of them for the show notes as I can. Where Brian Fuller and Yim Gamer were talking about how they really wanted to convey what it was like for Salim to come from a country where homosexuality is illegal and he could be put to death for it. So all of his romantic and sexual encounters have been furtive, and like you know. Back alley blowjobs, I think the the term was uh, Brian Fuller used. So this is different. He gets mm-hmm. to have a proper connection with somebody. It's a spiritual experience in in that, or you know, as as well as a sexual one. On top of it being because it's with the god. So the god here is almost like a metaphor for just having being able to be with somebody and not be afraid. It had a lot of meaning to it, and the way they shot it. Sometimes when they when they go into god scenes or like flashback god scenes, you know, they they use the visuals to make them look more magical and bigger. So here the 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 jinn who's like a spirit of fire, you know, he has the fire in his eyes, but the skin becomes like onyx, like like they're a statue. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it was it was really cool. I mean, it is a completely baroque melodramatic scene that's also very personal and intimate and completely believable as a moment of intimacy um also because you just really don't see stuff like this i mean it's described as very it was described as being very explicit and i wonder if it was just seen as that because it was two muslim men on television which we never see uh i understand there's also just a point where he pulls back the towel and you're just like oh oh okay yeah Yeah. i mean i know it's not real because we had to read many many articles about the making of that prosthetic but (laughs) (laughs) oh right do do we have to read them did we really it was There's... research. Research. I <laughs> did my job. <laughs> that scene was very good for my page views, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so was the Bilquis one, which we'll get to. But yeah, I mean, I love that we're getting more of them because they're they they are um, really they there's that one vignette in the book, and then there is kind of a a throwaway line later in the book that to, to, of their fate, and it's it's not positive. No. Mm. We actually get to see him be part of the story, and we get to see Salim be the beleaguered street man in between <laughs> Matt Sweeney and Laura on, on Tumblr, somebody called that episode Two Scumbags and a Cinnamon Roll, and I was like, I want the whole spin-off series. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, we will get into why we deserve a, a complete series of Mad Sweeney and Dead Wife. <laughs> because we, we do. We've, we've, it's, like, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough couple of years, so like we deserve this. We need this. Um... But yes, two scumbags in a cinnamon roll would watch. Would 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 in fact continue to pay my my stars app fee for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, talking about the scumbag, that's one thing that the show does, I think, a lot better than the book, which is the depiction of Laura. I mean, mm-hmm. Laura is just straight up. I mean, 
I think the, the, the book calls her a bitch a couple mm-hmm. of times, which is basically the way she's usually, these kind of women are characterized. And she's wildly unlikable here, but it is super fascinating. And you get to see her be sort of unapologetically nihilistic and how that impacts her life and how being basically a selfish, manipulating, gaslighting spouse has led to this horrific situation in many ways. Or the way that it's been manipulated by Mr. Wednesday in particular. Right. Well, here's the thing about Laura in the book is that if you ask me about her character in the book, and I read it about, I don't know, I think five years ago, I'd go, I don't know, she shows up sometimes. The thing about the book, if you ask me to describe you the plot, I'd probably go, I don't know, because it doesn't so much have one. No, it's mostly a travelogue. Yeah. yeah. Which is a I mean, problem. Yeah, and I mean, that was one of the things that that Brian, I feel like we're on a first name basis with Brian right now. <laughs> I feel He's like our guy. That, so, um, that Brian was like, no, I have to, I'd actually like craft a, narrative. a plot narrative out of this. And, and Gaiman's like, yeah, <laughs> that is true. And since it's all sort of told from Shadow's point of view, and, all of his point of view of Laura is is tainted of the fact that she died with his best friend's dick in her mouth. Like, of course, of course, his view of her at this point is going to be, yeah, bitch who doesn't stay dead. <laughs> Side note, but can we all like seriously appreciate that the fact that the guy that loses his dick is Dane Cook? Yes. <laughs> and I, I do, I will credit to Dane Cook for being like delightfully self-aware about how much everyone is giddy about that piece of casting. <laughs> he's totally embraced the fact that he's the guy that loses his cock to the bad lunch. I actually really like his wife. What was her name? Audrey? Audrey, Audrey. thank you. Oh, she's yeah. played by Betty Gilpin, who's in Glow, the new Netflix series about lady wrestlers. Yeah. She's super good. And did she, I don't think, maybe she was mentioned in the book, she probably was, but she wasn't, I don't even remember her being a character. She shows up for, in a, you know, a couple of episodes here, the the backstory to Shadow and Laura, and then the Laura episode, and I actually really liked her, and I liked the character. <laughs> yeah, and the scene where Laura shows up at her house and is like, I, excuse me, I'm evacuating, like, all of the embalming fluid right now. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is gross. <laughs> That's so funny. Props to Emily Browning uh, with what she does with Laura. I think I like her take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's great. It's, you know, the Laura episode where they gave her, and I mean, like we said, it's only eight, and she gets an entire one to herself. Uh, there was a, Neil Gaiman said he really wanted to give her more of a personality. Now, she doesn't be, she doesn't really become likable, as Kaylee explained. Like, no, she's kind of a sociopath. But she does become a whole lot more interesting. Yeah. I think you get to see the way that she, like, her, how her manipulations play out as well. I mean, we see the backstory, the reason Shadow goes to jail is because Laura is bored and has decided, you know what will be fun? Like, liven up our lives a little bit, which he really doesn't care about. He quite likes being the boring suburban husband, but she desperately wants things to, you know, be livened up by a, a little casual robbery. So, like, I mean, she is empathetic and she is regretful at times but that doesn't last very long because she's just too damn bored to care about anything else and I mm-hmm. find that super fascinating yeah and I think she's not just bored I think she is she's legitimately depressed yes 
I, I do think that establishes that in the beginning. And I guess in her defense, you know, it was a perfect plan that a god screwed over. Yeah. What What are you going to do? <laughs> right. I gotta say, I mean, if you're going to have a show about a dead girl that comes back to life and gets, you know, kind of re- you know, gets a grip of her own narrative again, get Brian Fuller to do it. He's really into that. Yeah, he likes it. Like, there are some filmmakers or creators that have obsessions with dead girls, and it's horrible. Dave Lynch. Like, I'm really enjoying this season of Twin Peaks, but it's been 25 years since Twin Peaks, and maybe we should stop it with the dead girl thing. But, like, at least Brian Fuller kind of lets them come back and start talking again, which mm-hmm. is... Segway, TM. I made it through episode three episodes of Twin Peaks, and I haven't gone back yet, and I... <sighs> We've spent... Barely 15 minutes in Twin Peaks in those episodes. Instead, it's some other town and also more tits and gore. Who wanted more tits and gore in Twin Peaks? Why do the things I love Honestly, the weirder and more confusing it gets, the more I like it. I am basically, you know, that episode of The Simpsons where Homer's watching Twin Peaks and he goes, brilliant! I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I have to make myself just go and I love it. back to it and hope it gets more Twin Peaks. Because it hasn't, the first three episodes did not feel very Twin Peaks at all. Prepare to be disappointed. Speaking of disappointment, do I get to do my rant on the Russian gods now? Yes, Yes. I've been waiting for this. (laughs) It's not as much fun of a text when we can't hear you. Why do the things I love hurt me? (laughs) Why? So, hiring no Eastern European actors for any of the Russian gods, they've decided to look at those fairly complicated names and just, we'll just butcher them as much as we butcher them. Zara has two syllables in it. Two. Uh, that's on top of the, the he. Okay, Gaiman didn't make up Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. He did kind of make up uh, the Zara's semi make them up. There are real gods and, and spirits and deities that he really like. It, I don't know how much research he's done. Um, Chernobyl. I'm not gonna go too much into because uh, it didn't. Seem familiar. It literally just means black god. Bielabok means white god, who's also mentioned in here. I wikipedia them, and they're more of, like, Western Eastern Europe. <laughs> like, it's not so much Russian Ukraine, so it makes sense that I wouldn't know that name. But there are a lot of Russian, not so much gods as spirits, that would make it here with the immigrants. Because our old pre-Christian religion... There's not so much of it left. It's, there's maybe one or two god names I could remember off the top of my head. But where's the spirits, you know, the house spirit, the spirit of the woods, all those things. Like, those are, you know, they flourish in children's movies and fairy tales, but also a little bit in daily life. Like, when I was little and I lost something and my mom would always say, let's ask this house spirit to, to find it. By the way, it works 100% of the time. of the time you ask nicely and you find the thing and would come come here and I've done it here in Canada so like if I were living say in this world of American gods that is the god I would bring with me I would bring the house spirit with me kind of it was very similar to the way uh we have the Irish Essie McGowan bring the leprechaun to America right like she she asked the spirits for blessings and whatnot so the 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 gods even back when I was reading the book I felt really kind of disconnected from and I'm like what the hell is this and who would bring the these gods here to America like, I don't know that that would happen I guess he just really needed to fill a certain character niche and he just went kind of looking for a god that would 
And then straight up made up one because there's only supposed to be two of these sisters, right? And then he just makes a third one up. He there's uh, I guess there's evening because okay, the word Zara, which isn't a name, it's an actual word. Um, it like it's the glow you get on the horizon when the sun is rising or setting. Okay. So there's one for the evening, for the sunset and sunrise. So he has Vichernia, the evening one, and Utrinia, the morning one. But he makes up the midnight one. You can't have Zarya at midnight. <laughs> so, yeah. So he, ma- I think he makes one up because he wants them to fit the three fates, which appear in, in Greek mythology and, and Roman, but then also in the Norse one. Mm-hmm. I think in the book you see the three sisters play the role of the of the Norse goddesses. I'm, I'm not entirely sure because, because of course, for Mr. Wednesday, kind of the Norse theology shows up a lot. But yeah, so I'm really disappointed that, that there are all these legitimate touches to Russian mythology that could have been brought, but not only was the mythology semi-fake, but even the accents were atrocious and you just kind of have to... She's real mad about it, you guys. You know, this show films in Toronto. Have you thought about just, like, dropping by with a Russian flag and just being like, I can help? No, no, don't don't drop by with a Russian flag. I don't think that's going to go over well. Oh, she's in Canada. It's a totally different thing. (laughs) Canadian Gods would be a very different show. It really would. (laughs) Actually, Canadian Gods would be pretty badass. Mm -hmm. I would be interested in that. Like, I would would like to see Canadian Jesus. Oh, I will say the one thing I really liked about it, so Jeremy Davis plays Jesus Prime, who's like the main American Jesus, who's obviously like the white dude who looks like yeah. a surfer. Oh, but when, so funny. But when uh, Mr. Wednesday goes on his rant about uh, the Christians basically stealing the, you know, the, the, the spring solstice celebrations from Ostara, who's Kristen <laughs> uh, Chenoweth, he looks really sad and apologetic about it. Yeah. Did you do that? I'm sorry. It's, it's so funny because they go to the house of Easter on Easter and a star is like charming. It's Easter. So there's also a, a Mary with a baby there yeah. uh, with the glow, the halo. But when the, when Wednesday starts at his rant and all the Jesuses are like, oh, and a star is like, no, 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 guys, we're cool. We're cool. We're good. <laughs> Don't upset my Jesuses. How dare you? <laughs> there's a great um, photo. I'll send it. It's of the. Of it's like a set picture. It's Ian McShane, Kristen Chenoweth, and Ricky Mitchell with all the Jesuses. Yeah, I think they said there were fourteen of them. So there's uh, like Asian Jesus, there's albino Jesus, there's Virgin Mary, baby Jesus, there's black uh, Jesus. There's black I know Jesus. that Orlando Jones tweeted that he couldn't see black Jesus, and to be fair, he was sort of super in the background, but there is a black Jesus there. I'll include the picture in the show notes. <laughs> Like, some of these Jesuses are well better dressed than the others. Like, they're the ones that are getting pretty better. I mean, look at the sandals on some of them. I like one Jesus is in particular is in slacks on the shirt. I wonder what Jesus he's meant to represent. Corporate Jesus? Look at the, look at the Jesus in between main Jesus and Mr. Wednesday, who's got a man bun. Yeah. <laughs> Hippie Jesus? Man bun Jesus. <laughs> he's the Jesus of, like, the really cool church where the pastor has lots of tattoos and talks about it being radical. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not to be confused with Man Bun Ken. Oh, God. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> I've known people to mute that entire phrase from their Twitter timelines because of yeah. this. <laughs> okay, so I have a question.
question. I don't know if there really is an answer to this. Okay. Why do people keep hiring Peter Stormare to play Russians? Because he's Swedish. I just watched John Wick 2, in which Peter Stormare plays a Russian. And Ian McShane's in it, too. So I'm like, well, if we're lifting that cast wholesale, can we please cast Keanu Reeves as something? But I have no answer to your question. I mean, I do enjoy that he has a Hello Kitty backpack that he takes to set with him. And I do enjoy him in that role because he's clearly very excited to be this just disgusting human being. I will say this for those Russian gods. Some of the visuals on that were really like the Glorious Leechman Uh as of the oldest of the sisters really did remind me of what you expect, like the post-revolutionary, you know, the old countess who's been stripped of all her wealth. The, the visuals kind of were, were well done on that. Just, you know, still not Russian. I do like that Cloris Leachman is, is still acting and still getting, like, really good parts at 91. Yeah. Uh, I also enjoyed her sweet moment with Mr. Wednesday in the rain. Mm. It's like, oh, I know he's probably faking the emotions, but it's still kind of sweet. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea why Peter Stamarek is playing Russians. Is Sweden not? It's not that near Russia. Like, I mean, somewhat, I mean, I would consider it somewhat near Russia. It's somewhat near Russia. You just have to sort of trot across a narrow bit of Norway or the top of Finland. I mean, you don't want to trot across the top of Finland because there are probably Finnish people with skis and guns there. But it's not that far. I mean, look, Finland is is basically right there. And if you're just across from Finland, then you're also kind of basically right there. Yeah. Well, it's not like he can see it from his house or anything. Mm, it depends on where his house is. <laughs> Just imagine he has a really massive house with a view of Russia now. <laughs> and his Hello Kitty backpack. Probably. Okay, so I feel like we haven't even touched the the big defining feature of the pilot, which is Billquist. Yes. Yeah. Who is now a major player in the story, because in the book she's just in that one very striking vignette. She's actually in two scenes. She's in that scene, but then we also see Technology Boy kill her in the book. Which okay. doesn't happen here. Because like the the entire thing with Bilquist has now changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the dynamic has been completely shifted. For the better, I think. I think that what they've done with her is super fascinating and I can't wait to see more of it. But yeah, the moment that she um, eats Bill Murray's brother with her vagina is... Yeah. Yes. Like, that. that's the main scene that I remember... From the book, which I think is true of a lot of people. Yes, <laughs> a lot of people. And I think everyone had that moment where they're sort of reading it and they're, they're like, they look at the page and go, "Wait, wait, what? Did I just? I'm gonna go back just... to Oh, <laughs> where did he go? <laughs> okay. Um, and like the the first, like one of the first things that that Brian Fuller said after it was announced that he was in fact running this show was yeah don't worry guys we'll do it we're, we're doing that don't <laughs> like there was ever a question like there was ever a question but he he knows his audience <laughs> he's like no 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 guys i got you i got you i got you it's fine did you know that when yatiri badaki the actress who plays her auditioned for the role she basically just got down and started recreating that scene for them they didn't <laughs> ask she just started doing it oh my god like commitment this is an actress who knows a good role and she sees it <laughs> I mean it is one of those scenes where you watch it and you're like I, I know how they did it like there's a trap door yeah. and there's a bit of a slide like I know how they did it but still it's looked 
I, mean, I couldn't couldn't turn away, basically. No. And I, I, I loved following all the people on Twitter who didn't know what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, before we even get to that part of the scene, I do want to talk about the actual change. Because the change, this is kind of like updated for the times change. In the book, I need to figure out what year it was published before. I keep on referring to it. Of 90... um, 2002, I think. Oh, 2002. Not quite as old as I thought. But, 2001, but, again... but yeah, it's this, this century. Ah, still 16 years. It's still scary pretty enough. tender. Pretty tender. Yeah. So, pre-smartphones, right? So, yeah. in the book, Bilquis works as a prostitute and the man is a client, whereas now, in the, in the Tinder age, we have it set up to where Technology Boy offered her new relevance by creating an app in her name. In the name of Sheba, I guess. So, she can now connect, uh, she finds her, I don't know if you call them victims, really. Worshippers? <laughs> She finds yeah. her worth yeah. by hooking up as, as dates. I mean, they seem really happy with it. Like, when we see Bill Murray's brother floating around in the, the, the sort of uh, vaginal galaxy with the full hard on, he seems to be the, really enjoying vagina himself. Vagina Nebula, I think? That was it, Vagina yeah. Nebula, which is a great line. Actually, that, the funny thing is, that scene, the way it was shot was great, but the moment that I just loved, it was that scene, which is the beginning of the next episode, where it's like the nebula... And the man is still floating there, and his dick is still hard. And they was just like, oh, look, there goes the dick. Yeah. Hmm. Brad Fuller's oh. commitment to penises in the show. But it's equal opportunity. She also sleeps with women now. Yes. Yep. I really enjoyed that we got a vignette of not her, com- well, her coming to America, but also what it was like for her uh, in Africa. No, it wasn't Africa. Sorry. It was, it was uh, Iran. Iran. It was Persia. Yeah. yeah. And where it was, man, and there was like huge orgies in her name. That was that was cool. There was the AV Club reviews, which have been really interesting. Did kind of point out that it's to be noted that Easter sort of gets to tell her own story, and Bilquis's story is told by a dude, and she is mostly silent through it. And that that was kind of uh, uh, an awkward feeling for whoever was doing the reviews, which I think I think that's that's a worthy like in general, the show has been very good in terms of diversity and pointedly not whitewashing any of the characters, but we can always still strive to do better. That's true. Actually, I hold on. I mean, I agree. Like, yeah, I remember uh, Mr. Nancy's on tells uh, Bilko's story. Does Easter tell her? St- I don't remember Easter's story at all. Or I, mean, I think it's more that. I mean, we get a lot of it told to us because Mr. Wednesday is basically trying to goad her into. He's nagging her into yeah. uh, basically joining his side. So we, I think we, we get didn't, it but we didn't get like a coming to America vignette for Easter. You know what I mean? We no, didn't we didn't. Um, maybe we'll get that next season because I would really like to see more of Kristen Chenoweth just, like, powering through the breeze with her floral dresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, I, I, I think that is an interesting point. I mean, I'm curious to see how much more we get of Bilquis in in the story. I do like that the focus of her origin is also men fuck up everything. Mm-hmm. Because I, I enjoy that defining part of any story. Well, actually, um. Uh... Favorite is, is kind of a weird way to say this, but the part of Bilquis's story that I guess touched me the most was when 
it, it's closer to the end when she's really uh, when she's in America, but really down on her luck. At that point, she's a homeless woman mm-hmm. uh, who's lost all her worship. But she watches a TV screen through a a window where she's shown the destruction of her, of temples her temple by civil war. Yeah, and it's just so sad. That was that was a great moment. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, we, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's that's kind of one of the things that, and I think I've talked about this before, that I feel conflicted about artifacts in museums. And, like, I get, I understand the feeling that they're stolen and maybe should be repatriated. But some of these things, like, if they were repatriated, they would be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the Assyrian winged gods are in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York means that they're still there and they still exist and people of Assyrian descent in America can go see them and see what they represent and that that part of their history is still alive. And that's something the show plays with too because she goes to visit her own former uh, the, like the remnants of worship for, from those ages are, are yeah. in a museum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see that, that she's having a lot of very complicated feelings about that when she goes to visit them. Mm-hmm. And then technical boy ruins everything. Mm-hmm. I will say that is a thing about the show I've really enjoyed better than the book. So in the book, obviously, geek culture is a very different thing in 2000s. Yeah. In 2001. So technical law in the book is a fat, greasy, spotty teenager, basically like the basement dwelling troll that you always imagine is on the other end of Twitter. Mm -hmm. That really doesn't hold any sway now as an image. So now technical boy is <laughs> a corn road white boy vaping the vaping is perfect with, with a grill and it is so perfect mm-hmm. and he is so good in that role and he's basically trying to be mark zuckerberg no he's not even trying to be mark zuckerberg he's trying to be jesse eisenberg as mark zuckerberg yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> okay i have so i have the exactly is english i didn't know that until like there was an interview and i was like oh geez you're very good <laughs> okay i have the the AV Club review up. Mm-hmm. And the paragraph is Bilquis has power. That power is derived from her sexuality, from her sensuality, and this is a stumbling block from nothing more that we are allowed to see. She's the only goddess presented almost always in a state of undress. Even Ostara, whose power is fertility, is never presented without her finery. Bilquis is shown grinding and panting. Easter, at most, lets her hair down. Bilquis is the only goddess seen sleeping in the street. Though the gods we saw in Chicago are poverty-stricken, Bilquis is the only one showing a, shown pushing a shopping cart, having forgotten herself entirely. She is the only god the writers have chosen to show with sores and sickness. More strikingly, Bilquis is almost entirely without a voice. She drops a sentence here or there, but unlike a lesser creature like Mad Sweeney, or even a human like Laura Moon, instead of acting out her own story in her own voice, she's shown from a distance her fortunes and disasters narrated by Mr. Nancy. That is true. Actually, the fact that she very rarely speaks, I I thought was very noticeable in the show. Mm -hmm. Kind of surprising. And the actress has a very striking and deep voice. Mm -hmm. It's very, like I thought, suited for the role. But I wonder if, to me her treatment in the show then almost 
I guess, kind of fits how you would expect an African and Middle Eastern god or deity or spirituality, you know, to fit the treatment of the people. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't surprise me to say that, well, like Norse gods would do better. Mm -hmm. Although Mr. Nancy's kind of shown doing well in that shop. So it's still, as a female god, she's still an odd one out. Yeah. I think it's also the combination she is the only black female god that we have. Mm -hmm. And society and history are noticeably shit towards black women. Mm -hmm. So I can certainly see the case made that that is what they're showing. But I do think that the AV Club case... It makes a very important argument. Yeah. Well, actually, that brings me to something I noticed that I thought was odd, and that is the only coming to America story, from what I remember, that was told with animation and puppets instead of real actors was the Native American one. That's the one where the people yeah. from Siberia cross the, the the people who cross the Aleutian Islands mm-hmm. into what I assume is Alaska in kind of the Ice Age. Yeah. But you could still hire, like, native peoples of Canada and and, and, and Alaska, like, of, of the North, to play those roles. So, I'm not sure why the choice there was animation. I get the feeling they just really wanted to make that cool animation scene, which I understand, because it looks really cool, but yeah. Because yeah. I know in the book, well, later in the book, you'll get to meet uh, Sam. Mm-hmm. who is Sam Black Crow, who's like the hitchhiker that goes around with Shadow for a while. So I assume she's going to appear in the book. In the, in the series, I mean, because the book has only been covered about a third of the way so far. Yeah. Right. And even then, not all the way through. But there are other characters in the in the book that are um, Native American, I believe. I mean, we haven't I, gotten to the Cobalt Town yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, and that's the thing, though. But I understand that they do appear later in the these The characters appear later in the book. But really, for... For a show called American Gods, there is a very striking absence of American gods in it. I wonder if that was deliberate. Like, I wonder, given that, obviously they didn't think that they were going to be making the show in this particular political era. Mm -hmm. But there are so, like, the immigrant story is pretty limited in television, Mm -hmm. especially in genre television. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that was something that was kind of a driving force for them on that front. Because this show is super fascinating, even if all you do is view it from the point the point of view of an immigrant story. Mm-hmm. It is just, it is super revealing on that front. I, I don't know if that, I, I have no, nothing to back up that that theory. We will get to see them, I assume, in the second series, because we get to meet people like, there's the Johnny Appleseed character. Uh, there's Whiskey Jack, who is from an Algonquin mythology. Uh, but that's also the thing, is like when your nation is immigrants the faith that they t- they imbue over time will end up becoming bastardized and increasingly white, which is why white Jesus is the popular one. But he yeah. still can't get his drink to balance on the pool. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so sad about that as well. I did enjoy, like, generally, like, slightly mopey, but generally kind of wide-eyed, optimistic prime Jesus. <laughs> and another strike for the, you know, take a drink for the, hey, that actor was in another Brian Fuller thing. Right. Well, this is this is going to be another one of those. We'll see if Brian Fuller and Neil Gaiman um, change from the book because really the book, from what I remember of it, yeah, we we do meet some um, Native American characters, but if you think of what what plot there is in this big war against the new technology gods and the old gods, but from the other world, 
I would love to now, looking back, why didn't I ever get a perspective of a Native American going, fuck all of you fucking up my territory? Yeah. So I basically, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping there's a scene in season two where we get the Coming to America, well, Coming to America vignette for Whiskey Jack. And it is basically like the uh, Anansi scene, but it's just, fuck you all, get out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were here first, fuck you. I mean, that's one of the things that's so striking about the show is that because it just refuses to be subtle, you really get these big, bold messages that you just don't really get to see on television, especially in genre. And everyone gets to give amazing grandstanding speeches. Like, there is a moment in, I think it's episode five, mm -hmm. where we get to meet um, Mr. World for the first time. Yeah. Has there been a... I, I mean, this, this entire show is impeccably cast, which we'll get into, but, like, Crispin Glover in that role is just... Perfect. So strong. Like, I'm kind of stunned he agreed to do it, just because I know that he's very anti-mainstream, and he kind of does his own thing. Mm -hmm. I on you crazy bastard, but he is so damn perfect. And this is... He gives this entire... It's basically like a, a Silicon Valley pitch meeting to why Mr. Wednesday should collaborate with him and he will get a new burst of life through basically making a compromise in the way that many of the other old gods have. And then there's just like a cartoon unicorn in the background at one point. And mm -hmm. then Dia is Marlon Monroe and she's in the corner. And then there's just a technical boy sulking because that is all he does. It's just such a great scene. I love that. Can we segue into media and Gillian Anderson and F the way she gets to play Marilyn Monroe and she got to play uh, Lucy. Lucy and David Bo oh, I don't even know which one's my favorite. I love them all. And Judy oh, yeah. got to be Judy Garland in the Easter Parade. I love the Easter Parade movie. I love that she was <laughs> Easter she she was that character in uh, in Easter's house, you know, Star's house. It's just oh, oh so good. I would love to have heard the phone call that Brian Fuller made to Gillian Anderson. So I was like, okay, so here's the thing. I've got a whole series of famous people and you're just going to play all of them. And then you'll get to punch a kid's teeth out. Are you in? Because she's, she's clearly having a ball. Oh, yeah. I mean, the moment she turns up as Bowie, which we'd all been waiting like weeks for because we'd seen the picture. Oh. And she's just talking in Bowie lyrics. <laughs> it's super amazing. But I, I love the way that they do that character and the way that they've kind of... I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see how that is updated as the series goes on because we are obviously... The internet is a much different thing now than it was in 2001, which is why you see the technical boys basically become a 4chan edgelord. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to see how that relationship between those two develops because it's clear that it is um, testy at best. I mean, they, she like I think she barely tolerates him. He may be slightly more powerful than her, but she's got better means to communicate it. Because she's not a petulant douchebag. Mm -hmm. But the way that she can just sort of call on Mr. World to keep him in line. And given the development that that character makes later in the book, which I don't want to spoil. But that is going to be fascinating. But I really just like, I'm sure Brian Fuller has a list somewhere of like all the famous people he wants to play. Yeah. I'm just saying, at some point in this series, no matter how long it goes on, he's going to get her in a plaid suit and talking about being rude. <laughs> <laughs> There's one... Kind of spoil. This one is a real spoiler. I feel like we should put a spoiler alert on. But there's one in joke, essentially for book readers, that the um, the show keeps doing. It essentially does from the first scene Mr. Wednesday's in, in almost every scene he's in since. And I just can't get over how brazen it is. <laughs> so I'm putting a spoiler warning. 
But one of the first scenes, uh, one of the first things Mr. Wednesday says to Shadow, this is back on the airplane still, uh, where he goes, I offer you a drink and you look at me like I fucked your mother. And I facepalmed so hard, except I couldn't actually do it because my husband was sit- watching with me and he hasn't read the book. And I was like, show, show, you're killing me with this show. My roommate who has read the book, um, like literally laughed out loud literally and then looked at me very guiltily and i was like no i i know i i know i do know <laughs> so and, and then they keep on doing it in the show which is <laughs> oh so it's so funny so i think we should talk about one of the um the weakest aspects of the show and i think this is just because it's part of the book as well Ricky Whittle is wonderful as Shadow, but I don't know if the show has entirely known how to create his arc yet. He is still someone that people are reacting a lot to. Or he's reacting a lot to other things. And there are really sweet moments, like when they're going to rob the bank, and he gets some hot chocolate. And he says, do you like marshmallow? I said, what do you like hot chocolate for? Yeah, I like marshmallow. Um, And I like that we get to see that backstory of of him with Laura, and actually enjoying being the quiet domestic life. So we at least see what he has lost and what he knows he's probably never going to regret even before he's now seen his dead wife kind of up and walking about. But I, I would I would like more from that. I hope the series kind of digs that in. Because it's also clear that Ricky Whittle is super charming and charismatic and really pretty. He's so pretty. And Ricky Whittle is clearly having the time of his life playing the role. Well, I've only seen some of the bigger name things he was in. Uh, so I don't know if he's ever gotten roles which really were like probably this fun but also gave him a character you know with all these things to do but like and not just be post-apocalyptic eye candy <laughs> i i find the character of shadow it's a little it seems a little inconsistent that we are shown all these you know gods doing all these things but then for most of the series i, the, I didn't realize that the arc was going to be that it's not until the end of episode eight that shadow admits i believe like what did you think happened up up until now you literally saw the moon being taken out of the sky and given to you. Yeah, that was a little bit of a weaker part to me, as well as, like, the reveal that Mr. Wednesday is Odin, because by this point in time, like, we know. Yeah, and we've like, known... And yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, obviously okay, Odin. But, like, okay, but, guys, America is a country where you can be like, look, climate change is a thing. Nope, it's not. We are very, we are very good people about refusing to believe things, even when they're, like, in a big neon sign right in front of you. Like, Trump admits that, yeah, Russia was mus- messing around with the election, along with literally everybody else. Nope, didn't happen. Fake news. So, I buy that completely. Because Americans are fucking stupid. I'm not going to argue with your first-hand experience there. <laughs> you've, 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 got, you've got thoughts on that. Um, I think just from a storytelling point of view as well because I think the final 30 minutes of the season finale are really when the show gets like on the fuller scale Uh that is there with like I'm trying to think of the most fuller-esque moment in Hannibal He's your social worker in that horse? I don't know, that just seems the most mimetic one It is is your social worker in that horse It's up there with um, getting Kristen Chenoweth to sing Eternal Flame around a cafe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, It's up there with the moment in 
Actually, I think it's probably up there with just the moment in season three where Eddie Izzard has to continue eating his own limbs. Yeah. It's such a fuller moment, the entire fair minute. Let's get Eddie Izzard. Like, there's so many fuller actors I want in the show. We've decided if we want Keanu Reeves, Lee Pace, Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. Raul Esparza, obviously, because we need to get him off of SVU. That show's still on? Oh, yeah. Every time Kaylee brings it up, I'm like, I think she's talking about a season from five years ago. But no, apparently it's still going. God. I know. There's a thing I can't believe. But I don't know. Even back to that point, I even with the point of, like, deliberate obtuseness, okay, maybe the making it snow, he could say, oh, you know, Mr. Wednesday just knew it was going to snow and he made me pretend I made it snow. But... After his dead wife comes back to life, and after that scene in the police uh, station, you're telling me he still thinks he's what hallucinating? I don't know. It's just. I wonder if the I wonder if the difference isn't necessarily that he believes in general, but more that he believes in Mister Wednesday. Maybe I'll concede that point. Because he's also just seen Jesus floating on the pool. That's so true. remember as well, all that his wife believed was you rot. And mm-hmm. technically, that's true for Laura. She's, is. she's, she's in rotting. fact rotting. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's going a full American werewolf in London with that. Mm-hmm. Which is, once again, I mean, the makeup is brilliant. I love when they do the, like, the death becomes her moment when she goes to visit uh, Mr. Anubis and Mr. Ibis. Yeah. Well, Anubis and Ibis, Mr. Jackal and Mr. No, it is Mr. Mr. Ibis, Ibis isn't it? Yeah, it's Mr. Yeah. Ibis's Thoth and Mr. Uh, Jackal is Anubis. And then when one of them says, you're still tacky. <laughs> yeah. I, that, oh, another thing that I felt didn't quite work in, in terms of pacing and plot was the very last moment of season uh, of episode eight is when um, Laura... So Mr. Wednesday and Shadow arrive at Easter's house and then Laura and Matt Sweeney, the leprechaun, arrive. And then at the end, Shadow turns around and she's standing on the balcony. It's very Romeo and Juliet now I think about it. And he smiles. But they've already met prior to this point because she caught up to him in a motel earlier, two episodes earlier. And then Mr. Wednesday kind of conned him into taking off without waiting for her, right? But I felt like that moment at the end of episode eight would have worked better if it was the first time he's seen her since she's come back to life. I think that would work too. I think the moment as well is that, oh, she's come looking for him. So maybe there's like, oh, everything's kind of lining up together now. Awful have just witnessed this horrific thing that's probably going to destroy the country. But my mm-hmm. wife is here, and I still believe that she's kind of a nice person. And maybe now I believe she'll be, I don't know, resurrected for real, or like he believes she'll stick around because he well, knows Jesus the gods are real. anything can happen. Exactly. Still really want my Mad Sweeney and Dead Wife spinoff. They travel the country and solve crime. Oh, can we talk about when we get to meet uh, Jimmy Price's twin brother? Oh, Oh, honey. Oh, yeah, so... It's, like, laughing, but, like, horrified at the same time. Yeah. Which Brian Fuller is very good at making me do. Yeah. Like, what, like when Mr... By the way, that's another Brian Fuller moment when Mr. Wednesday runs over all the bunnies. We don't see it, thankfully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, no dead bunnies on the screen. Just... The entire reaction, like, Shadow has to meeting Ostara as well, or Easter. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, it's Kristen Chenoweth, so anyone would be totally smitten. Yeah. I <laughs> I have I have, I have, have one very important question, though. Mm-hmm. Exactly how high were the heels that Kristen was wearing? 
I believe in her ability to walk on very high stilettos. Managed to be, you know, roughly his shoulder height, which I do not believe that's true. I don't believe it's even close. <laughs> she is a very short person. Yeah, she's one point five meters, so she's only four foot eleven. Mm-hmm. And Shadow Moon, Ricky Whittle's about six foot, isn't he? At least. Maybe he's standing in a ditch. Maybe very high heels in a ditch. And the occasional apple box. I'm sure Tom Cruise was able to to lend one. <laughs> well, there's interesting... I, I actually think, because it's the last episode and so many things happen, you, you kind of blow through it, but all the gods that uh, Shadow meets up until then are, you know, the immigrant gods. But mm-hmm. he was raised from the little snippets, if we understand some sort of Christian and at the very least American. So all, you know, American Christmas and Valentine's day and, and Easter, all the holidays that he was raised with. So when he's in that house, he's like, Oh, I forgot it's Easter. I love Easter. Right. Cause it's candy and, and uh, eggs and all that. So when he meets Astara and she's, and he, I guess he's for the first time, he's meeting the personification of a holiday or a God that means something to him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that moment gets lost in the general shuffle of the episode, but it makes sense to me that, you know, he's so much more relaxed and happy Yeah. than he was, for example, meeting the violent Slavic god who wants to murder him. I mean, I would be. Kaylee, remind me, that moment that the show ends on where uh, Astara causes a general death of all green things in the land, that wasn't in the book, was it? I don't think it is, no, because they're, they're aiming for a much bigger climax. I mean, this is only about a third of the way through the book. Right. And this is to way too much plot for the book. <laughs> like, if I force myself, I vaguely start remembering what the point of it all for Mr. Wednesday was. I mean, Easter does show up later on in the book for a crucial moment involving Shadow. Because if, 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 if season two does follow the book in that aspect, there's going to be a lot of shadow hanging around Chicago's funeral parlor system with mm-hmm. Anubis and Ibis. So, um, but I, once again, there's so much that's going to change. I mean, the fact that the way this ends is basically a declaration of war. That's not mm-hmm. the book. Right. So the dynamic of season two is obviously going to be so much more different than it would have been if it was just a straight adaptation. Right. I'm still waiting for Cobalt Town because that's the part I just remember the most of. Think of, for, for our listeners who've seen The Tenth Kingdom, do you remember when the, the people in that reached the village with the luck fountain? Essentially, they had the, the, the one farming family, the peeps, where everything was lovely always. That's what Cobalt Town is like. Okay. And it also is built on nefarious means. That was the one part of the book where it's like, Jesus, Neil Gaiman, really? <laughs> and I kind of like I guessed it somewhat far out in advance, and I was like, "You're, you're going there, aren't you? You're going? No, yeah, yeah, you went there. You, you sure did." Man, I, and if if we get a backstory to that to the cobalt to that god, I don't know. They that's the one you should do with puppets because it's kind of harsh to do it for real. Mm. Because that one in, involves not just human sacrifice but child sacrifice. How far into the book is that again? I mean, it's been so long since I read it. Oh, I don't... Because I think he lives in that town for a while, then leaves, then comes back. So it's like somewhere in the middle. I, I don't actually remember what order... I think this is after he leaves 
Chicago, right? I think it's after he leaves Jacqueline Anubis, I think. Like Mr. Wednesday sends him there to live to like be hidden for a while because the kobold owes him. So while he's in that town, I think. But then I think he leaves it, and that's when uh, when he travels after leaving Anubis when he meets Sam. Right. Like I said, it's really hard to remember what order things happen in the book because they happen so randomly and have nothing to do with each other. I'm just looking up on Wikipedia, that ever-reliable source. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when Henselman comes, isn't it? He, he's the kobold. He's the kobold, yeah, Henselman. Now that is going to be an excellent actor opportunity. I'm not even sure who... We're going for the, we're going for the fuller casting, aren't we? Oh my god, they should get uh, a freaking Dan Fogler. Fogler. The one, the, what, the one patient Hannibal. That oh! Was oh, Franklin. You were so creepy. You'd be perfect. <laughs> okay. Well, like, that, that's what we, we should decide. We should, like, message Brian Fuller. <laughs> oh, no, that's great. I always imagined him as older, but when the moment I saw this, I was like... Well, that's because if they, if they de-age Mr. Nancy, why not de-age yeah. Hensel? Hmm. That would be an interesting reveal. <laughs> right. Or, you know, Mass might have some time on his hands. Would that be a little on the nose? <laughs> no, see, Mass. Oh, well, we totally hate that. <laughs> I don't think... Okay, I love Mass Mickelson. He should be somebody in here, but not... Not the kobold who is, like, this disarmingly folksy old monka. You know what I mean? Oh, you think that he can't do that? Like, not after I just see look at him and see Hannibal. I don't know. <laughs> Have you not seen all the pictures of me wearing sweatpants? He could be folksy. <laughs> I'm just going for the filler vampire. I wonder who he could be. Another like if they actually were going with like let's cast actors to play the gods from there or at least uh, like generally their area. He could be another Norse god. Mm-hmm. Well, they have more of the um, you know, the new gods. There's Mister World, but there are more of him in the book. There's Mister Town. There's Mister Stone. Right. There's like the Men in Black essentially. Yeah. Um, so, like, you could see him in a black suit being menacing and charming and giving awesome speeches. And I feel like, okay, for those who, um, of our listeners who watch the show but haven't read the book and still don't quite have a grasp on what Mr. World's supposed to be, if you've listened to Welcome to Night Vale and they have the vaguely menacing government agency, that's what Mr. World is. They're every sort of secretive covert organization that everyone believes kind of runs the world. So it's and right. the vague concept. Oh, so the deep state. Yes. <laughs> you know, every, every conspiracy theory you've heard on 4chan, it's basically that. Or like the power behind capitalism is another one that he's said to be a driving force. That's actually one of my favorite jokes in the book is that they're these the intangible forces who are like the gods of the stock market, but everyone just leaves them to run in the free market because they think they should be totally left alone without any limitations. Mm. It's like on the nose there, Neil, but I'll take it. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious to see which new gods they add because I think that's one of the most interesting things we got this season is that there is a new god that has been introduced, which is Vulcan, who's mm-hmm. not in the book. that was made up specifically for the show, mm-hmm. uh, and really interesting actually. That's one of the in a series that lacks subtlety. That's one of the least subtle bits. Uh, yeah. Great music, Fo. I mean, I could I could talk for hours about Brian Wrightsell's score for this thing, mm-hmm. which is wonderfully witchy, and has like Mark Lanigan singing "I Put a Spell on You" and Debbie Harry does the disco song that plays in Tehran. 
and then the theme song is the, vo- the female voice you hear in it is Shirley Manson. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the bit with uh, Vulcan is basically that he is an old god of Rome, Roman god of uh, volcanoes and steelwork. He was generally a mascot for a lot of the steel industry, especially in places like the UK. And to ref- refreshen to freshen up his sort of relevance, it's hinted that he's made a deal with the new gods, as a number of them have, including Santa, guys. See, Santa's done you dirty, uh, but he's tied himself to guns. And particularly in this one town in, is it Missouri or is it Virginia? I want to say Pennsylvania. I thought it was America, that big, big country. Uh, Basically, this town, which is like a really weird Norman Rockwell painting turned cult, where everyone is wearing armbands with the Vulcan logo on it, and they all march through town and just fire their guns into the air and don't don't seem to care that actually the bullet's got to come down at some point. Right. Yeah. And the way that plays out, because you realise, oh, Shadow is the only black man in a town that fetishises guns. Yeah, and yep. he looked really uncomfortable being like, oh, it's great, it's so unsubtle. I thought that episode was really interesting. Because um, that, that, that's another way that the show is really uh, emphasises the central conflict, which I think is, this is the thing, the, the, the show has to deal with a book that doesn't have a plot. And I, I don't know if it's entirely successful, but because you can really... I mean, I think you could have done more episodes. Um, eight does seem a little short for a first season. I'm guessing cost-wise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brian, tighten the budget. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I, I suspect that Stars was like, let's see how this goes. Please, please, please let Brian Fuller finish one. Well, he's already been renewed for a second season, so... Yeah, I mean, they renewed it really quickly. Did they they even wait for it to air before renewing it? I think it had aired an episode. Okay. But I I strongly suspect that Stars is like, yeah, let's, let's see how this goes. And based on what they were seeing as the, as the production went on, and as I saw what word of mouth was was doing and how excited people were about it, then they were like, okay, this is going to be a good gamble for us. Yeah, I think the international numbers alone are enough to keep them going, because this show has been promoted very heavily in the UK. It's an Amazon exclusive here. Mm -hmm. But then again, so is Outlander, and Outlander is now moving to TV here, so I wonder if something similar will happen later on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even my dad is like, oh, so what's that show? Like, yeah, don't watch that show, Dad. Like what? Outlander? No, no. He already watched Outlander. He wasn't. Okay. He thought it was too rapey, and there was no need for that. I mean, he's my not... dad's my dad's one line review of Outlander season one and two. It was <laughs> awfully rapey. I didn't think there was a need for that. <laughs> but no, I, I feel like my dad shouldn't watch American Gods. He didn't really like Hannibal, so he's not going to like American Gods. And I'm not getting my dad to watch the show where a woman eats a man with her vagina. Okay. Certainly not with you. <laughs> 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 it would be funny just to see the reaction of my mom and dad watching it together, but you know. Mm-hmm. Wait until you move out, and then you're like, "Okay, dad, now, <laughs> you, can, now you can see it." <laughs> I think it would just be a little too strange for my dad. Although he was mm-hmm. a Lost fan, so you know. Right. He likes a lot of the actors in it. I think that would be pretty cool. I mean, the acting on this show alone, the cast. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of anyone who is miscast, and I don't really think there is anyone. There isn't anyone. I mean, even with the grumbling over Russian accents, 
Uh, I think Cloris Leachman is wonderful. I no, enjoy I really that they like drink her. vodka from the bottle. <laughs> is that a good brand of vodka? Do we know? I don't remember what it was, but I don't think so. <laughs> well, she's, they're poor. They can't afford good vodka. Yeah. But he bought it for them. He would buy them a nice bottle of vodka, wouldn't he? No. No. I mean, he does buy the other one, the, like the the whatever was in the uh, the romance novel bin as well. Yeah, that was super cheap. That was... You did not splurge on, you know, full mass market prices for the romance novels. No, but I did appreciate that like, when she looks at the book and then she sort of looks up at Shadow and is like, mm. 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 Yeah. I'm trying to look at the picture on on Google. No, I don't think it has a label. I'm, I'm guessing it's like vodka brand vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Got a white label with barcode. <laughs> white label with black trim and a gold kind of insignia, but that's about it. Yeah. But she drinks it the way that Alina tells us we're supposed to drink it. Neat. Straight from the bottle. <laughs> How neat. Yes. Well, Alina's wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> See, we could get a vodka discussion in every episode. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to say something about Ian McShane. Because clearly, I think he is actually friends with Neil Gaiman. Uh-huh. Because they've worked together before. But clearly he has been given, like, an amazing, like, elevator pitch for this. Uh-huh. It's like, okay, so I know that you've done basically everything in film and TV. But in this, you get to be an actual god. You get to watch things go completely bonkers. And you basically get to possibly destroy the planet. For shits and giggles. Right. You in? He's also, he is super charismatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, like, I think that it's different to know who Ian McShane is if you're British over being American. Because for most Americans, he's Alice Waringen from Deadwood. Here, he's been, like, acting since the 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a very popular uh, TV series called Lovejoy. Which is about an antiques dealer who solves crime. So it was How kind of much like, fucking murder do you have over there? A lot. A lot. A lot. But this was a major deal. Like this was a very popular TV series in the UK, and then he like so when he and he goes over to America, and all of a sudden America just keeps casting him as this heavy swearing, <laughs> hard drinking kind of anti-hero bastard. It's very. It was interesting. Let's put it that way. I also greatly enjoyed just how little he cares about, like, supporting half the movies he's in. Mm-hmm. Just be like, nope, it was, I just did it for the money. <laughs> it was kind of daft. I had a good time. It was fine. And also, if you've watched the interviews that he's done together with Ricky Whittle, they're very adorable together. Because I think they're both from, they're, um, they're both from the same part of England. Mm-hmm. And they both support the same football team. Oh, yeah. And, Ricky Will has just been very excited to be taken under his wing. Aww. It's adorable. I, I like how much Ricky Will has just embraced being, like, a fangirl favorite. <laughs> like, everyone on the show has clearly just really enjoyed that this, this has a fandom. Mm-hmm. And being part of that, kind of like what happened with Hannibal, 
Although they seem a little less surprised because I feel like Bran Fuller had to explain to them what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, but we also have Orlando Jones, who is seriously the greatest cheerleader for online fandom. He is so into it. Like, he threw himself like, in. He threw threw himself in. He live tweets every episode. He's a little bit more enthusiastic with the episodes he's actually in, but, you know. Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> I love the wardrobe that his character has. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to make your own wardrobe, you're obviously going to make yourself look as spiffing as possible. Mm-hmm. Damn right. I hope he gets a bit of, I mean, I don't know how this show really would do with Emmy voters. Mm-hmm. But assuming that it gets like some kind of robust awards campaign, I hope that they do push Orlando Jones for a guest actor. Yeah, when what's the timing for the Emmys this year? Because well, I've, I've started to see the the think pieces coming out on who should get nominated. Oh, hey! It's the 69th Emmy Awards. Who's <laughs> <laughs> hosting it this year? Uh, Colbert. Oh, that's good. I like him. Alright, nomination voting began on June 12th. Uh, voting closes tomorrow. And nominations tomorrow being Monday, June 26th. And nominations will be announced July 13th. And the actual ceremony is on Sunday, September 17th. And the window for television programming from June 1st, 2016 until May 31st, 2017. So... Did American Gods premiere like May 11th? Uh, April 30th. April 30th? So yeah, it's it's within the window. It might just be far too strange. It might voters. be. I mean, the Oscar pool of voters is diversifying enough to the point where Moonlight can win Best Picture, but I don't think the Emmy board is there yet because they still think that Modern Family, Modern Family is, is edgy. edgy so. <laughs> Big Bang Theory. I think that kind of dropped off a little bit, but um, yeah. So that that is obviously, a thing. and also we're in the age of peak TV. Yeah, there's just there's a lot, and that's fine. It's fine. I mean, I think even you know stuff like The Crown is what's going to do well. Oh, it's tailor made for those awards. Or oh, yeah. even like I think The Handmaid's Tale is probably going to get a big push this year. Oh, I think so. I think um, so. Yeah, they're still going to nominate House of Cards. Because yeah. those are, you know, movie stars, and it just seems like a politically pertinent thing to do, regardless of how good that show currently is. I don't know. I don't watch it. Mm-hmm. So they don't tend to go for that esoteric, unless there is enough of a groundswell for it. I don't know if there is necessarily for this. I mean, we couldn't get, you know, we couldn't get Hannibal enough nominations, so yeah, I have a lot of hope for this. And it totally should have got nominations, you guys. But the thing is, it's going to get nominations. It's going to be like, I think Stranger Things is probably going to get in just because people have still not ta- stopped talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fucking feud is going to get in. Uh, maybe Big Little Lies. Just because it's, once again, it's movie stars. It's movie stars, but that'll be limited series. True, but that's where a lot of the acting is going to be big. It's just a lot of the, the yeah. focus, I think, is going to be on stuff like that. Yeah. And something like American Gods, I mean, there's maybe just too much dick in it. 
Maybe. Great heads, a great lot of death. On, there's a lot of death. Great headline on Jezebel. Uh, so far, American Gods has shown more dick than all of TV in 2016. No, that sounds right. And it, it's just got pictures of all the dick. <laughs> oh, I've totally forgotten about the bit where he accidentally activates the cloud and Robbie's dick comes up on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Oh, the dick Hmm. If you have not read the the interview where they talk about making the, the gins prosthetic, <laughs> uh, basically the actor who plays him, whose name is uh, Musa Kresh, I'm so sorry if I've mispronounced that, but says he was like getting sent pictures and like, is this good yet? Is this fine? And he's like, make it darker. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds about right. It is. Oh, they've even got gifts in this pic, this um, post. Yep. The best part wasn't even the dick pic on the cloud. The best part was when he looks up at what is his his and Laura's wedding picture and the dick pic's on there instead because now he can't unsee yeah. it. <sighs> Man, he packs up an entire house awfully fast. Montage. Yeah. Oh, here so. was uh, Michael Green talking about Robbie's dick. I remember when we had penis photo approval. It was email, and it was like, here are eight penises you have to choose from. <laughs> I will say I that's what they gave like, him a choice. I'm just trying to imagine, like, Dane Cook sitting at his computer, like, hand rested on chin pensively, like, uh, just seems a bit girthy. <laughs> I will say, commitment. the show did commit to equal opportunity nudity and sex, which usually when you hear that, it's not applicable. Like, it's, oh, you're, you're going to show lots of tits, but you're going to show, like, one guy, like, wearing a Speedo or something. But no, they commit to this. Like, you, you see dick. In, in the best traditions of HBO's Rome, gone too soon before its time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> right. Okay, can we uh, talk about Pablo Schreiber a little bit? Yes. <laughs> So, I mean, considering he wasn't the original choice for the role, he's really Ooh. damn good. Who was the original choice? Uh, it was act- an actual Irish actor called Sean Harris, who okay. got the role and he had to drop out for personal reasons. And then Pablo Schreiber was called in, like, really short notice. I mean, it was just like, get him in a chair and get him ginger, and let's go from there. Wait, wait, is Sean Harris who I think it is? But it, it, Pablo Schreiber is really, yeah... Sean Harris is in Mission Impossible. Sean Harris is who I think it is. He's uh, the Micheletta from the Borges. Okay. Alright, I like him. But yeah, once you've seen, like, I mean, Pablo Schreiber commits. He does. And for those of us for whom, like, Pablo Schreiber is Hornstash from Orange is the New Black, like, this, it's like, oh, I see which side of the family the Schreiber acting genes came from. It's the Schreiber side, because they're half brothers. <laughs> so, yeah. yes. Do you know how long it took me to realize that? And it's just like, well, now it's obvious. Yeah, exactly. Even just stuff like, I mean, this is a guy who was really famous for playing lesbian psychos. Uh-huh. I mean, there's porn stash. He was in a run on Law and Order SVU where he basically played the most evil man who ever lived. Like, proper, like, psychotic, murderous uh, manipulator. Like, basically the show went full Hannibal, but with no charm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also he did, uh, he is the voice of Patrick Bateman in the American Psycho um, audiobook. Okay. Which, yeah, you can hear it. Yeah. But here he gets to be, like, I mean, he's a dick. Mad Sweeney's an absolute dick. 
um, a total scumbag. But he's also just, it's really fun to watch him get totally ragged on. It's super satisfying. Oh, he's just, he's really good as this kind of, kind of charming, but really scuzzy and probably thinks more char- he's more charming than he really is, you know, because he's so used to skating on his luck. Yes, basically. He is so used to kind of getting by on the the frivolity and the novelty of being a complete stereotype. And because he can throw a punch, that probably helps. But then that bit um, where we get, which is weird, like his coming to America isn't so much his backstory as it is presumably Laura's ancestors. Well, they use the same actress. So this Irish girl story of... Uh, of how she eventually settled in America and brought the belief in leprechauns, you know, with her. But there's a, so, but he gets this little moment where he talks about like I was a king and I owe a battle, and I'm assuming that goes back to like a proper old Irish like mythological legend that now just become kind of pot of pot of gold and and shamrocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that is an old Irish tale. Um the Battle of Magrath, that's part of Medieval Irish. Did I read that at uni? I might have done... Okay, I know nothing about it. Do you have a story? <laughs> I mean, he, the nickname that he has is Mad Sweeney. That is part of the story. Okay. But he's basically uh, driven insane by the curse of St. Ronan after, well, he's in the Battle of Mag- Magrath, and he enters a period of basically wandering around Irish as Mad Sweeney, as an insane man. It's... A lot of stories are like that in medieval Irish uh, literature. There's a lot of, you know, battles gone wrong. There's a lot of giant boars. There's a lot of (laughs) tricksters. There's a lot of being cursed by pissed off saints. But I think that's just part of literature in general. (laughs) (laughs) But that's another part of like, I mean, that's one of the things that the book and the show does a lot of, which is uh, these are beliefs, not necessarily beliefs rooted in religion their beliefs rooted in hearsay and what people want to believe and the way that they pick and choose i mean all of the jesuses sum that up is when everyone closes their eyes and prays jesus they have a different image in their head so if you're an evangelical nutcase who believes that you know you're going to go to hell if you wear a polyester blend of course you're going to see the white dude so and maybe that that's also the case for ostara like the actual story of ostara is probably not real there were certainly fertility goddesses and Germanic goddesses of of the the harvest and of this the spring equinox and things, but the actual figure of Ostara was probably made up by a really bored monk in about the eighth or ninth century, because there's no other evidence that this particular goddess existed outside of this one guy's text. But if you've heard that story enough over time. And you want to be that person who's like, well, actually, Easter has nothing to do with Jesus. It was all to do with a Germanic goddess called Ostara. And you want to be that dick. Then that's going to spread it. And yeah. that's how you end up getting, you know, basically what Easter is, is she's just a grab bag, you know, of right. really colorful eggs over time. She's, you know, she has to adapt to that. But there's obviously a lot more fun to be had in striking fear into people's hearts than there is to sort of kowtowing to commercialism. Yeah. As fun as Judy Garland is. <laughs> one last thought and this is more of a we'll see if uh, the show probably won't do this but it's kind of interesting to think about of how the change between when the book was written and now that the show's being made there is one mention of thor in the book 
and he we find out that he killed himself because he just couldn't live with you know kind of the downfall essentially not being a god anymore but that was now thor the comic book character already existed but the marvel movies haven't really blown up yet it would be fascinating and i don't think they'll do this i don't think they're interested in kind of uh going there but as as a thought experiment like how would if if you use the name of a god for a superhero character and then that character becomes super popular in this universe of american gods what happens to that god in america he gets played by the lesser hemsworth <laughs> bill which one, which one's the one no one knows? Bill's a Skarsgård. You're getting their first title. <laughs> which <laughs> one is the Hemsworth that nobody knows? Luke? I don't care. You know what I mean, though. I yeah, but why Luke. not just hire a Skarsgård then if that's going to be the case? Like, Peter Starmere is the godfather to one of them. I can't remember which one. He could just make a call. Because making it the lesser Hemsworth would be funnier. I feel like that would be, like, a potential legal issue. <laughs> I'm sure Disney would find a way to suit. But Luke, Luke Lester Hemsworth. He, they can't be a legal issue because they, they don't own Thor the God. And they certainly don't have a copyright on Hemsworth's playing Thor. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't fuck with Disney. I was assuming their contracts are ironclad. I would okay, go to Feige and questions. I would say, Look, this is what I want to do. Make it so that nobody's going to yell at me. And Feige would be like, Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> but he's not even like a good looking Hemsworth. No offense, Luke Hemsworth. Exactly, that's what makes it funny, Kaylee. You don't seem to understand the importance of the joke. <laughs> You're really committed to this idea. Are you going to pitch it, Brian? Amazing. Pitch it Brian? Call me, Brian. Brian. I think Brian would be up for it. He totally would. I great. could totally see a situation where, like, the god for watching all of these movies does decide I need to start going to the gym. <laughs> oh, you know what they could do? Like, at the very least, if we get a flashback to Thor killing himself, they could hire Luke Hemsworth for that. Some percentage of us would appreciate the joke. The reincarnation of Thor as as envisioned by people who are like, Marvel comic are the shit, would be the lesser Hemsworth. <laughs> and you get a lesser Skarsgård, but but not the, not the one from Helen Grove. He's just... Well, he truly is a lesser Skarsgård. Get both. Oh my god, that's so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's They're so cruel. Skarsgårds, okay? Have, <laughs> you seen, have you seen the video of Alexander Skarsgård seeing a picture of his brother in the Pennywise outfit for the first time? No. I'm going to send it to you. I feel really defensive of Bill Skarsgård. Why? <laughs> 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 embedded in the show notes listeners don't worry <laughs> of course also, he would say all oh. <laughs> right. uh, also can I just say Alex stop trying with the American accent just use your natural Swedish one it's fine it's fine your American accent is weird and off putting please stop have you seen Big Little Lies no it's no. like when he does interviews and he's like keeping his his American accent, but he's not like it's not his working American accent. He's just clearly trying to fit in or whatever. Like, please stop! Don't do that. Okay, if we're going to cast a lesser Scars guy. We're going to have to cast Gustav because no offense to Valtar, but <sighs> yeah, I, I feel 
I feel really bitchy you now. Oh, one last American Gods thing um, before we wrap up. I did notice this was one of those changes that I think they changed from the book, and I think it was partially, look, we can't do this on TV, and partially game and possibly going, eh, I shouldn't have done that. And it, it it's about Mr. Wednesday, but there is a scene uh, early on when they meet, uh, when they have dinner, and Mr. Wednesday essentially magic Ruthie's a teenager mm-hmm. to have, like, a really young girl because he has this ability to magically charm women into having sex with him. And I noticed that in the show, they, they do show that he's not alone in his hotel room, but there's no preceding scene that implies any kind of coercion. Right. Or magic roofing. Uh, and that scene in the book actually always sat very wrong with me because I didn't like how I was just supposed to skip over the casual rape of a young girl. And I'm glad the show decided not to go there. And I kind of wonder if that was one of those, like, let's let's not. I feel like it. it I read somewhere that, that they were all that everybody involved was like, no, we're not going to do this. Yeah. Good, good choice. Good choice. Good choice. A plus. Good job. You do you, Ryan. Fuller. And also Michael Green. I feel like we should also credit the fact that there is yeah. another creator on this show, which is Michael Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is very good and has done things like he co-wrote Logan and um, he had a wonderful TV series called Kings, which only lasted one season, starred Ian McShane, and is great and no one talks about it. And Sebastian stands in it. It's oh, that one. If, yeah, it's basically if Dynasty had a biblical allegory in it. <laughs> you mean it didn't? I don't know. I never watched Dynasty. Neither did I. I just know that it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does that wrap us up? I think it does. If you haven't seen the show, you know it's eight hours of your life. You could probably binge watch it now on the Stars Player. I assume is the system in America. Uh, the Stars app. You can. Get that even if you don't have cable, you can get it through iTunes. In Canada, it's Amazon video. In the UK, it's also Amazon? Yep. Nice. And we will be back at you next month to talk about something else. <laughs> we don't know. We haven't talked about it yet. Bye! Bye! Goodbye! Thank you for listening to Anglophies, a Made a Fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglophies. You can send an email to anglophies at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you.